0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com radiodetectives. Today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. I want to thank Anne and Lisa who sent donations to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho 83715. You can also send along a one-time donation at support.greatdetectives.net and I also want to welcome Deborah as our latest patron at the $2 a month level of uh, Rookie and you can give a monthly donation at patreon.greatdetectives.net Over at greatdetectives.net this weekend, check out my review of the graphic novel based on the beloved podcast series The Red Panda, Mask of the Red Panda. And you can get all of my reviews automatically sent to your Kindle, and you can try that service out free for two weeks. Just search for Great Detectives of Old Time Radio in the Kindle store. Well, now it's time for today's episode of Dragnet. The original air date, May the 29th, 1952, and this one is the Big Fourth.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the entire production staff and technicians on Dragnet. Wish to thank the American Weekly and the television editors of the various newspapers which distribute the American Weekly for voting Dragnet the best mystery drama on television for 1951 1952. Our deepest thanks for this fine recognition. The story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. A detective sergeant, you're assigned a juvenile detail. An eight-months-old baby is stolen from its mother. It's the third case of child stealing reported in less than three weeks. There's no lead on the suspect. Your job, get him.
2: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was
3: Wednesday, June 18th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of juvenile division. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Stein. My name's Friday. It was 6.30 p.m. when we got back to 1335 Georgia Street, second floor, the squad room. Hi, I've been waiting for you. Hi, Captain. How's it going? Any sign of the baby? No, not yet. We're doing everything we can. We haven't got a lead to our name. Lousy thing. How's it stack up? Anything like the last two cases? Yeah, quite a bit. Same neighborhood, same General M.O. We checked with just about everybody in the vicinity. No one saw the baby taken. Happened about 10 o'clock this morning? 10.15. Miss Mrs. Donaldson drove down to the neighborhood shopping center to do her marketing. She had the baby in a bassinet in the back seat of her car, baby boy, eight months old. Mm-hmm. She pulled into the parking lot right behind the market, left the baby asleep in the car. She went in to do her shopping. When she came out, the baby was gone. How long was she in the market? She told us about 20 minutes. We talked to a half a dozen people who drove their cars in and out of the parking lot about that time. They couldn't help me. They didn't see anyone loitering around. How about delivery trucks? They usually unload supplies at the back door, don't they? Already checked on that. We talked to the driver of a bread truck. He was making a delivery about that time. He couldn't help us either. The mother, Mrs. Donaldson, she's the only one who came up with anything at all. It's not much, but it's better than nothing. Yeah? But when she parked her car and got out to go in the market, she noticed a woman sitting in the car park next to hers. When she came back and found her baby was gone, she noticed that this woman's car was gone, too.
4: Mrs. Donaldson described the woman for you? Yeah, she
3: was middle-aged. She had gray hair. That's all she remembered. How about the car the woman was in? It was a green sedan. That's the only thing Mrs. Donaldson could tell us. She's not even sure of that. And there's
4: no one else around the market that remembered the car, huh? Well, if there is, we haven't found them. We covered the whole neighborhood, Skipper. Talked to everybody
3: we could. Got us nowhere.
4: Smoke, Captain. Thanks. You, Joe? Yeah, thank you. I got a light.
3: Okay. Captain. No kickback yet on the broadcast. The old points you got out on the baby? No, nothing. Up to now. It's a carbon copy of the last two jobs. No suspect, no motive. Mrs. Donaldson can't think of any reason at all for it. No, not a one. Her husband's a teamster. They don't have much money. She couldn't think of any friend or relative who might possibly want to take their baby.
4: The baby normal, in good health? Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. It's got me. This makes it about one a week. Just about. Martin baby was taken on the 5th. The Andrews baby was taken on the 12th. Both of them recovered in 24 hours. Nothing wrong with either of them. Sure doesn't make sense. Must be a
3: psycho case of some kind. I think we can go along on that.
4: Well, this one happened near 8th and
3: Deinhardt, that right? Yeah, same neighborhood as the other two. About a 12-square block area there. How about that lead you had on the old man out there? Did you exhaust that? Yeah, the old gardener. Mm -hmm. We double-checked him this afternoon. He wasn't anywhere near the market when the Donaldson baby was taken. How about the other two people you had your
4: eye on? Either of them anywhere near the scene at the time? Neither one of them, Skipper. Both clear. How's it stand now?
3: Well, we're doing everything possible. Dean Bergman went over the Donaldson car for prints. The bassinet, too. There's no word from him yet. Special detail from Metro Division still going over the neighborhood. Nothing
4: from them either. No sign of any physical evidence, huh? I mean, besides any possible prints. No, nothing, Captain. A usual number of tips from people in the neighborhood. Checked on all of them. They went nowhere. Well, we just about run the gamut on this thing. You have anything in mind? Well, Joe and I were kicking around an idea on the way back in. Figured it
3: might be worth a try. I mean, providing we get the Donaldson case cleared. Yeah? Joe? Well, for one thing, we figure the neighborhood out there works in our favor. All three of the babies were taken in the same 12-square-block area. It's the strongest part of the M.O. that we got to work on. Now, if we get good enough coverage in that area out there, it might lead somewhere. What kind of coverage? Well, maybe a system of decoys. Something to draw the suspect out at the right time, the right place. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. What have you got in mind? Well, Frank and I were figuring if we could round up half a dozen policewomen or so, let them work different points around the neighborhood and make it obvious that they're housewives. Yeah. Have each one of them with a baby carriage. Spot them at the shopping centers out there in that area. They leave the carriages outside the stores, go through the motions of doing their shopping, and... Cover each one of them. Mm-hmm. What do you do for Bait? I think we can fake it, Skipper.
4: Put a life size doll in each of the carriages, keep it pretty well covered. Fair a chance it'll get us a nibble if we work it right. About half a dozen policewomen, that's what you figure? Yeah, I figured that ought to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yeah. Gibnol Division, Captain Stein. Yeah, that's right. Uh huh. How's that? I see. This is Bolger. Yes, ma'am, I understand. How's that? Yes, ma'am, if you like. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Queer one?
0: Yeah.
4: Either one of you contacted Mrs. Marion Bolger the last month or so? No, it's not familiar to me. How about you, Frank? Hmm? Don't recall the name? What? That was her on the phone. She wants to be investigated. Says she wants to prove to us that she's not involved in any of these child-stealing cases. How do you spell that name? Marion Bolger, B-O-L-G-E-R, Ewing Street address. No, I never heard of her. What's the pitch? Got me. She kept saying she's got to have her name cleared. She's innocent. Kept insisting she
3: didn't steal the Donaldson baby. Well, we didn't say she did. We don't even know the woman. You're going to. Check her out. We ran the name Marion Bolger through R&I, but there was no previous criminal record on her. 7.25 p.m. Frank Smith and I left the office and drove out to the Ewing Street address to interview the Bolger woman. Before we called at her home, we checked with some of the neighbors. Most of them had a favorable opinion of her. They described her as a pleasant woman, slightly eccentric. The only complaint was that the Bolger woman was very fond of children and that she kept most of the youngsters on the block well supplied with cake and candy despite repeated objections from the youngsters' parents. Other than that, they seemed to like her. 8.05 p.m., Frank and I called on Mrs. Bolger and she ushered us into a neatly furnished living room. She was an older woman, possibly in her early 60s, dark brown hair streaked with gray.
5: It's the honest truth, Sergeant. Anybody who really knows me would tell you I wouldn't do a thing like that. I love children. I want all of them to be happy. I wouldn't steal anybody. Uh, just the a baby. minute, Mrs. Bulger, please. Something we'd like to get straight. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what they say. I didn't do it. I didn't steal those other two babies. I didn't steal the Donaldson baby either. How'd you
3: know the Donaldson baby was missing, ma'am? It just happened this morning.
5: Evening paper. The whole story's in there. It's the first I knew about it to so help me when I got my evening paper. Please, Sergeant, you got to believe me. All right, now. Try to take it easy, ma'am.
3: What gives you the idea that we're accusing you of taking those babies? We well,
5: you haven't yet. Not in so many words. You're thinking about it, though. I know that. You've been told. How do you mean, told what? You know what I mean. All those stories going around about me. And just because I like children, because I enjoy them, I understand them. Just because of that, they try to make me out a witch or something, trying to say I took those poor little babies. All right, just a minute, ma'am. Who said you took the babies? Down at the store this afternoon, I heard them. That grocery clerk and that silly Mrs. Murdoch, they laughed about it. to make out there's only fooling. Well, I knew better. They weren't fooling. They meant it. Accusing me of such a terrible thing. I just don't know when I've been so upset.
3: Well, now, what grounds would they have for saying anything like that, ma'am? I mean, even if they were
1: fooling?
5: Only because I love children, that's all. People in the neighborhood are the same way. They don't like me. They go around saying things about me just because I understand their children better than they do just because I know how to treat children.
3: No, I think you got it wrong, Mrs. Bolger. The only complaint your neighbors have is that you treat children too well. A little too much candy, huh?
5: Nothing wrong with giving a child candy, good homemade fudge. I make it myself. Besides, how would you know about that?
3: We talked to your neighbors, ma'am. They had a lot of nice things to say about
5: you. Yes, I just bet they did. Nasty, dirty stories. They've been passing them all over the neighborhood about me.
3: No, ma'am, you've got it wrong.
5: Just let me show you. Come in here, this way, the dining room. Yes, ma'am. Look at that. Look at that.
3: Yes, ma'am. It's very nice.
5: You see how I decorated the table? Paper streamers all over the room. It was supposed to be a party for the children in the neighborhood. I worked a whole week getting it ready. I made the cakes myself. Decorated them, too. I made everything in my own kitchen. Candy, sandwiches. Took me a whole week. And they didn't even come. They didn't come. Ma'am? The neighborhood children. It was supposed to be for them. special summer party I wanted to give them today. They didn't even come. The parents wouldn't let them. Not one of them. It's a crime. Terrible crime. All this good food.
3: Well, now, maybe there was a mistake, Mm ma'am.
5: There wasn't any mistake. I invited the children, 14 of them. Mothers wouldn't let them come. I had everything ready. Little favors for each one of them. Now, look. Ice cream's all melted, hot cocoa boiled away to nothing. Yes, ma'am. Even the paper streamers are coming down. Such a mean thing to do. Keeping children from a party. Such a mean thing.
4: We don't like to bother you, Mrs. Bolger. Just like to ask you a few routine questions, and we'll let you alone.
5: Anything you want to know, Sergeant. Can you account for your time this morning, ma'am, between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m.? Yes, of course I can. I was right here in the house getting things ready for the party... My friend, Aggie Benson, was with me. She's a school chum of mine. She was helping me get things ready.
3: Well, then you didn't leave the house at any time this morning, did you? No,
5: sir, I didn't. You can ask Aggie, she'll tell you.
3: Do you have a car, Mrs. Bolger.
5: Oh, my, no. I wouldn't know what to do with it if I had one. I never learned to drive. Why would you want to know?
3: Just routine, ma'am. Well, I guess we'd better be going, Frank. All right, Jim.
5: And you don't believe those stories, do you? I mean, just because I like children, I'd steal those babies. You don't believe that, do you?
3: No, ma'am. We haven't any reason to believe it.
5: I knew you'd understand. I wouldn't do a thing like that. I just love children, Sergeant. Never had any of my own. Living here by myself, no husband, lonely. Terrible thing being lonely. Yes, ma'am. Yes. There's only one answer for it: children. Big family. It's an old saying. It's very true. Ma'am. When you get to be 63, you want something else to wake up to beside the morning paper.
3: 840 P.M. Before we headed back for the office, Frank and I made a thorough check on Mrs. Bolger, her background and her alibi. We found nothing to link her in any way with the child stealings. 9.15 p.m., we got back to the city hall and went directly to Leighton Fingerprints where we met with Dean Bergman. He'd found several sets of prints on the Donaldson's car and on the bassinet from which their baby had been stolen. Most of them were those of the parents, Mr. and Mrs. Donaldson. Bergman was unable to identify the two foreign prints found inside the car. We contacted the officers in charge of the special detail, checking the neighborhood where the latest child stealing had occurred. They'd failed to uncover a lead. 7.48 a.m. the following morning. Friday. Morning, Captain. Good piece of news. The Donaldson baby, they
4: just found him. Where? Highland Park area. They found him in a cardboard box. Apparently, he's all right. little exposure.
3: Doctors are checking him over now Georgia Street. How about the suspect? Any sign of him? Not a trace. It was little or no different than the first two cases. Some 21 hours after he'd been abducted from the car in the parking lot at the rear of the market near 8th and Dinehart, the Donaldson baby had been recovered apparently unharmed. The cardboard box in which the baby had been found was gone over for fingerprints. Routine investigation at the scene and in the neighborhood where the child had been found failed to turn up a lead on the abductor. Frank and I checked with Dr. George Hall, who'd examined the child. After that, we talked with Mr. and Mrs. Donaldson. The details of the case coincided almost point for point with the first two abductions. The baby had been taken, then recovered in a 24-hour period. Outside a slight exposure, the child was unharmed. Also, like the two cases preceding it, something which the child was wearing at the time of his abduction was missing. In the first case, it was a small pink sweater. In the second, a pair of shoes the baby was wearing. In the case of the Donaldson baby, it was a sterling silver I.D. bracelet with the initials J.D. engraved on it. During the next five days, Frank and I ran down every lead we could get our hands on. They went nowhere. Our system of police women decoys was put in effect. It failed to get a rise. On the sixth day, Thursday, June 26th, 5.30 p.m., we got word of another child stealing, this time in the Echo Park area. We drove out to talk to the mother, a Mrs. Chester Osborne.
6: Yeah, that's right. I did the same thing I do every morning. Gave the baby a bath, dressed her, put her out in the backyard in her buggy. She usually plays a while, then she takes her nap.
4: And about what time did you discover your baby was
3: missing?
6: I don't know exactly. About 2 o'clock, I guess. Maybe a couple of minutes after. Went out to see how she was, looked in the buggy, and she was gone.
3: Well, it's almost six o'clock now, Mrs. Osborne. How is it that you waited so long before you notified us? Just
6: kept hoping it was a mistake, that's all. I went from house to house all over the neighborhood. Went as far as three blocks away. I asked everybody. Nobody saw my baby. You don't know what it means to me.
3: I a telephone, Mrs. Osborne.
6: Would you answer it, please? Whoever it is, take the number. I'll call him back.
3: Yes, ma'am. I'm glad to Hello. Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, Harry. We're here now. This is Friday. How's that? Mm, when? I see. Where? That's all. Uh-huh. Okay, Harry, thanks. Yeah, tell him we'll be right in. Right away. Okay. Bye. Well, that was our office, Mrs. Osborne. You can stop worrying now. What? It's about your little girl. She's all right. What do you mean? I just found her three blocks from here. <laughs> Again, with the lone exception of the time element, the Osborne baby's abduction resembled closely the three previous cases. The crime occurred in the same general area. The same general method of operation was employed. And again, outside of slight exposure, the child was recovered unharmed. There was also an article of clothing missing, a pink knitted bonnet. And as in the previous three cases, the suspect had abandoned the baby without detection. Routine investigation by the crime laboratory crew and juvenile officers working the case failed to turn up a lead. During the week that followed, additional personnel for both decoys and stakeouts were assigned to the area without results. Friday, July 4th, 10 a.m. Joe, you busy? What do you got, Frank?
4: Galvin and Mildred Leslie just called in on this child-stealing thing. Looks like it might be something. Yeah, what's the pitch? Well, this Leslie girl's employed as a maid for a Mr. and Mrs. Roth, R-O-T-H. Mm-hmm. She's a stockbroker. She's worked for him a year or so, she says. Yeah. A Leslie girl's an upstairs maid for the Roths. She's been following this baby-stealing case in the papers right along. She thinks maybe Mrs. Roth can tell her something about it. Yeah, how's that? Well, the Leslie girl was cleaning Mrs. Roth's bedroom yesterday. She came across a few things stored back in one of the closets. Baby things. Pink sweater, pink bonnet, and a
3: pair of baby shoes. Uh Uh-huh. And she says they've all been used. They're not new. Well, a lot of mothers save baby clothes, things like that.
4: No, the Roth woman wouldn't have a reason to. Yeah? She's never had any children.
2: You are listening to Dragnet... Authentic stories of your police force in action.
3: Friday, July 4th, 11 a.m. Frank Smith and I left the office and drove out to interview Mildred Leslie at her apartment. She told us substantially the same thing she told Frank on the phone. The Leslie girl had been employed as a maid by Mr. and Mrs. Roth for almost a year. She went on to tell us that for the last few months or so, Mrs. Roth, who was a fairly prominent club woman, had been acting peculiarly, and that Mr. Roth was worried about her. According to the Leslie girl, he'd consulted the doctor several times about his wife. As for the articles of baby clothing, they'd been found stored back on a shelf in Mrs. Roth's bedroom closet. The Leslie girl told us that she happened to find them while cleaning and dusting Mrs. Roth's bedroom. Each of the articles she claimed she saw seemed to tie in directly with the child's stealings. A pink sweater, a pink bonnet, a pair of baby shoes. Identical items of clothing had been taken from each of the previous abduction victims. After we left Mildred Leslie, Frank and I got to a phone, called a record bureau, and had them make a run for us on Mrs. Roth. She had no previous criminal record. 1.20 p.m. We called Mr. Roth at his place of business, but the office was closed because of the Fourth of July holiday. We got in the car and drove out to the Roth home, an old two-story mansion just above Silver Lake Reservoir. Mrs. Roth wasn't at home. We interviewed her husband in the living room.
4: What seems to be the trouble, Sergeant? Why would you want to see my wife? There's a few questions we'd like to ask her, Mr. Roth. Can you tell us where she is now? She took a drive with some friends of hers. I think they were going down to the beach club. Why? Well, we're investigating a juvenile case, Mr. Roth. We think maybe your wife can give us some information on it. Well, I'm sorry she isn't home. It's too bad you didn't call this morning. She didn't leave until after 11. She'll be home later tonight if you care to call
3: back. Uh, You're sure it's not something I can help you with? Well, yes, sir. Maybe you can. I'd like to ask you a few questions about your wife's activities the last month or so. Well, how do you mean, some of the social work she does with the
4: club? Not quite, Mr. Roth. You said you were from the juvenile division. Is it something regarding her work with the underprivileged kids? Her club does quite a bit of that, you know. I'm afraid I don't know too much about it, though.
3: No, sir, it's not that. I don't think I understand. What is it about? Well, Mr. Roth, we want you to understand that this is merely a routine investigation. We don't want to offend you in any way, but we have some information that we've got to check out. What do you mean? What kind of information? Well, there's been a series of child-stealing cases the last month or so. We're the investigating officers on it. Maybe you read about them in the papers. Yes,
4: I have, but what would my wife have to do with that? You think she has some information for you? She didn't say anything about it to me. Yes, sir, I think she can help us quite a bit. I don't know exactly when she'll be home. I don't have any place to contact her. I do know the club's taking a group of children to the Coliseum tonight, the big Fourth of July fireworks display, you know.
3: Yes, I see. I'm going to meet my
4: wife there tonight. Maybe I could give her a message for you, tell her to contact you.
3: All right, fine, Mr. Roth. There is something that you can do for us right now, though. Yes. Would you take us up to your wife's room? I'd like to have a look at it. Take it to a room? I don't
4: understand. What for? Well, like we told you before, sir, it's a routine investigation. I think if you take us to your wife's room, I think we can clear the whole thing up now. Probably won't be necessary to bother you tonight. Well, I certainly don't understand. We'd come along if you like. The Doris' room is right ahead of the stairs. Thank you. Certainly has me baffled. What would there be about Doris' room? It has to be investigated. We don't know that there is anything, sir. Just appreciate your cooperation. Not at all. We haven't anything to hide. Here we are. This is her room. Now, what is it you're looking for? That's the bedroom closet, is it? Yes, that's right. Like to look at it, if we could? Certainly. Go right ahead. All right. The shelf up there, Joe. Can you reach it all right? Yeah, I think so. What is it? What are you looking for? Here you go, Frank. Yeah,
3: pink bonnet, pink sweater. That's it. Here's the baby shoes, the ID bracelet. Yeah, initials J D. Uh-huh. Not much doubt. No. Yeah.
4: Baby clothes, bracelet. Never seen them around here. How'd you know they were here? Well, we weren't sure that they were. But I'd never seen them before. What are they doing in Doris's
3: room? Why would she have them? Have to talk to her about this. Yes, sir. So do we. <laughs> After finding the evidence in his wife's bedroom closet, we continued to interview Mr. Roth. We briefed him on the details of the case and explained about the articles of baby clothing. He was very cooperative, but he found it hard to believe that his wife was responsible for the abduction of the babies. He told us that early in their marriage, his wife did have a child which died shortly after birth. Complications left her unable to have any more children. When she found out about this, it resulted in Mrs. Roth having a nervous breakdown, but apparently she recovered completely. Roth went on to tell us that his wife was very fond of children and that she devoted a great deal of time to social work, caring for underprivileged children. He also told us that during the past month, with the recurrence of her nervous condition, she'd been under a doctor's care. Shortly after 8 o'clock that night, along with Mr. Roth, we drove to the Coliseum where crowds of people were gathering for the annual July 4th fireworks display. Roth pointed out his wife. We went over and he introduced us. These officers would like to talk to us, honey. Let's step over
4: here. Well,
6: I can't leave the children alone. Can't we talk later? No,
4: honey, it's
3: pretty important. I think you better talk to them now.
6: Well, all right, if you say so, you'll have to stay and watch the children, though.
4: they
3: will be all right. We can keep an eye on them from over there. No,
6: I can't leave them alone. You'll have to stay.
3: Well, all right. Ma'am, I wonder if you step over here, please.
6: Yes, all right.
3: This ought to be all right right here.
6: Beautiful night tonight, isn't it? Children just love these things. I think they're just about ready to start the show. Yes. That.
3: gorgeous. Yes, ma'am. We'd like to drive you and your husband downtown to juvenile division. We'd like to talk to you.
6: What do you mean? I can't leave now. I have these children with me. What did you want to see me about? What's the trouble?
3: I think you know why we're here, Mrs. Roth.
6: I do. Why do you want to talk to me?
3: Well, we can start here, ma'am. We were at your home this afternoon. Your husband showed us your bedroom, the closet. We found the things up on the top shelf. What? The baby clothes, the bracelet,
6: Tom? Just baby clothes. Had them in my closet. It doesn't mean anything.
3: I'm afraid you're wrong. It means a good deal, ma'am. You know that.
6: Yes. All right. What
3: well, do you want to tell us about it, Miss Roth? Ms. Roth.
6: Where do I start? There's no beginning. Just started. I couldn't help myself. What can I say?
3: You just tell us
4: what happened. Start any place.
6: My baby died. And they said I couldn't have any more. Guess it started then. I told my husband, told the doctor, too. They didn't understand. Nobody understands. It's all I wanted, my children, my own children.
3: How about the Martin baby, Mrs. Roth? The first one you took, how'd that happen?
6: Look, another one. Purple, white, beautiful.
3: What about it, ma'am, the Martin baby? How'd that happen?
6: I saw him in the baby carriage, outside the market there. Such a cute baby. Pulled the covers back, looked at him. I didn't think I was gonna steal him. After I looked at him, I just wanted to hold him. Hold him close, so I picked him up. You understand, don't you? Yes, ma'am. He was such a sweet baby. Could have been mine. I kept on holding him, and then I started to put him down, back in his carriage. I couldn't. I couldn't. What do you mean, ma'am? I couldn't put the baby down, it was just like mine. It was mine. I can't explain it. I took the blanket from the buggy. I put it around him. I walked away. Nobody knew. It was my baby.
3: Yes, ma'am. Would you go on?
6: Oh, my head. Terrible headache. It's so hard to tell you. I couldn't even tell my husband. I lied. I'd take the baby and stop overnight at a motel. I'd tell my husband lies. I couldn't let him know.
3: Well, you knew you were doing wrong, didn't you?
6: Yes, I knew it. Not when I was taking the baby, though. Not when I picked them up. Not when I held them in my arms, held them close. It didn't seem wrong. Most natural thing in the world, I just pretended. I'd pick the baby up and hold it close. It was my baby. All of a sudden, it was my baby. Later on, I had to face Had to stop pretending. The baby wasn't mine. I had to give it back. Isn't that wonderful? Dreamers, a shower of stars, it's marvelous.
4: Why'd you abandon the children, ma'am, without notifying anyone?
6: I knew they'd be found. I made sure of that. I always put them someplace where they had to be found. Terrible headache. You don't know what it's been like. I couldn't tell anyone, no one.
3: Yes, ma'am. You about ready to go now?
6: All right. I could only explain it to you. I mean, having a baby, then losing it. You don't know what it's like. No one will ever know what it's like. No one.
3: You took four babies, ma'am. Yes. How about their mothers?
1: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the
2: innocent. On October 10th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Evelyn Roth was tried and convicted of child stealing under Section 278 Penal Code, Four Counts. She was placed on five years probation. One of the terms of probation required that she would be under strict supervision of a competent psychiatrist. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Herb Ellis, Vic Perrin, Virginia Gregg. Script by Jim Moser. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking.
4: Each Thursday night, it's Counter Spy on NBC.
0: Sad case, but and I think an appropriate uh, punishment in the end. Clearly, the woman was very emotionally distraught and just in a lot of pain, and really needed to be under a doctor's care, and they made sure that happened. Now, of course, some might question Friday having a rejoinder to her very emotional statement slash confession, because it's clear that she did it out of a place of mental instability. But she also made clear that she knew what she had done was wrong. But I think what Friday was trying to point her to, where a lot of people who do have emotional pain act out in a way that hurt others, is they think that only their pain is important and don't have any empathy for what... Uh, pain their actions are going to cause. And so Friday was trying to bring home to her the pain she was causing the parents. I will say that I think the episode would have probably been more effective in that regard if we had gotten more of a focus of actually hearing the distraught uh, parents. Because the way the episode ends up working out, we actually hear and understand and experience the pain that drove the uh, perpetrator, but we don't really hear from the parents. We kind of learn about that secondhand. It does take a look at something that's interesting, though in terms of the overall story, a bit off the beaten track, but it's a real issue that does occur when you have the woman who basically called and asked to be investigated and you do have people like her who really pour a lot of time and energy into uh, the lives of children but many will look on with suspicion because uh, and I think this has grown even worse since the time of this episode. Because of all of the scandals that happen, uh, uh, that have happened around people who have pretended just to have an interest in children, in their best interest. And it's turned out to be something else uh, entirely. People like the lady in this story, a lot of people start to get really suspicious about. And it's such a difficult issue with no easy answers. And, you know, you can also... Even the story itself does reflect a little bit of the change of times. The one thing I I noted about this episode as well was there was no discussion of the mothers being irresponsible leaving their baby carriages unattended. Today, that sort of thing is just far, far less likely to happen just because of all the risk out there. So it's a... It's some uh, sad changes in our society and civilization overall reflected in this episode. Our first listener question comes regarding episode 2198, The Big Mail. Keith writes, I was listening with my wife, and she was cur- curious if they really kept all the serial numbers to the bills on hand. She felt it was a bit, uh, that was a bit labor intensive. Um, I think... This is not just something that I've heard on Dragnet, but it's something that I've uh, encountered on other police shows, and it does make sense for the era. And it may seem a bit cumbersome, but you can get hundreds of numbers on a a single page, uh, depending on how you've got it top set up. It's not like it's going to be 50 lines of numbers. Um and the police officers can carry them particularly in a more realistic story like dragnet uh you can either have them in the car and go and get them or you know if you know particularly if you're wearing a good suit jacket with a nice you know inside pocket, it's something that's you know not going to be too hard to carry again, depending on the number of bills that were taken uh so yeah it, it's it is it is it is realistic um, obviously if there was a ridiculous number of bills um, I don't think there was in that case um, then it it becomes it becomes uh, more challenging but i I don't I don't have any problem with it in terms of realism I know we have some folks who are, ex-law enforcement and listen to the program and they might have some better insights than I. But as far as I'm concerned, it sounds completely plausible, though today they may have some other approach because, you know, there may be an app where that's just for law law enforcement where they can uh, top in a serial number and find out if it's on a list anywhere. Uh, you know, that sort of technology could be out there, but there's often law enforcement and other government technology that's decades behind the times. So who, who knows if that is available, but I, I think I've encountered it in enough other programs that it does really seem to have a base in reality and ragnet really did try to be realistic with those sort of things. So, I would lean towards a yes. Thanks so much for the question, Keith. Joey had a comment on Olin Soule's uh, Let's George Do It and says, It's amazing how much difference the actors make. I listened to the original and the remake on the same day, and this is regarding the play The Coward. I thought that the original was way better than the remake, even though the script was exactly the same. However, it could be... Uh, just uh, that I'm used to the original cast members. Uh, well, Joey, I I think that you're probably, most people would tend to agree with you. Well, I won't say it's an objective fact because there could be somebody out there who does really feel that Olin Soule was better as George Valentine than Bob Bailey. Y- anything's possible. I, th- uh, I think that Bailey really did have much better presence. It's important to keep in mind the Olin Sule version. He took on the role in 1954 with radio really in full decline, particularly over the West Coast Mutual Network. And you had a lot of actors when they actually did radio dramas. The people who would end up in the starring roles wouldn't be the top of people who have been likely to get a starring role when radio was at its heyday. I mean, I mean Olin Soule was a good actor, but he was a supporting player, a character actor, Not typically the type of person that you give a lead role in. And it would not have happened during the uh, heyday of the golden age of radio. You saw a lot of these when you did have a radio program out there. The leads would often be people you would not normally expect. For example, Bill Zuckert actually got his own radio detective program in 1957 on Police Blotter. And like Zucker, I think Sule does do a good, serviceable job. It's a decent performance. And I think it's pretty good once you get past the opening. The opening is really uh, difficult. And I don't think that Suley really had the sense of what you needed for that opening. You just kind of need to get into that whole hog. And Bob Bailey really had that down, too, because you wanted it full of uh, action, excitement, and just really set the scene for the story to come, that this is going to be an exciting episode. The way Suley read it, you kind of... got the impression that he thought, okay, this is a bit over the top, but this is my script and I'm going to do the best I can with it. So yeah, I think it's definitely a big difference in the quality of leads that you see as the golden age of radio hit its uh, twilight period. All right. Well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow, video theater. It'll be an episode of Dragnet. And then uh, join us on Monday for Beat. Next Saturday, another episode of Dragnet. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.